you end up going to see Snowpiercer again? I did not. Uh, we watched a lot of Naked and Afraid instead, which is, you know, classy. It was awesome. It is. Yeah, there were a lot of people that were taken out on stretchers. Were they naked and or afraid? Uh, they were both. In fact, they were both of they those things. They were very afraid because they were all dying. As the Seriously, title would suggest. three episodes in a row, three people who had to be taken out because they almost died, mostly because they drank water they shouldn't have Yeah, drank. every single time. That's all it is. People, they get like dysentery. It's like, whoa, you shouldn't have drank water out of that puddle on the ground. Like, oh, what are the odds? <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Daily Screening Podcast. My name, as always, is Daily. Uh, and joining me this week is my partner in electoral crime, Bartholomew Devon. Hello, Bart. Hi. Hello. And uh, joining us also, we have our two lovely ladies, uh, my wife, Jamie. Hi, Jamie. Hello. And, and Jenna Gabriel. Hi, Jenna. Uh, we're talking Selma this week. Um, we, last week we were talking, we said, oh, what should we do next week? And we sort of settled on Inherent Vice. Uh, and then I remembered that it was Martin Luther King weekend, so I felt like that's kind of an ideal time to go see Selma. Uh, you know, be appropriate to the calendar a little bit. Um, and then also the Oscar nominations happened, and Selma was unceremoniously (laughs) shut out of almost every category. So then all of a sudden it felt sort of doubly appropriate, uh, so, and it was a, packed house there so yeah. um, I mean there's been a lot of backlash about it about someone not getting uh, enough attention or not getting enough nominations um, and I you know weirdly I think it's probably going to be somewhat of a boon for the movie itself you know because people say oh well this was the thing that everyone's talking about it not getting nominated it being so good but it didn't get like, we, people go see it as opposed to oh it's just another one of those Oscar movies that I'm probably not going to get to you know can I ask, do you think, before we get into anything about the movie yeah. itself, um, do you think that, that the part of the reason why it is, was left out of so many categories is just because of the timing of when it came out? I'm No, I would have gone the other way. I would have thought it would have been more certain to be in more categories because of the timing. When, wait, when it came out... Because of Our Christmas. I mean, the same as a lot of these, a lot of these movies. Well, later. from what I read, at least around the time the Globes were coming out, they weren't sending out screeners. The way that other movies were. Yeah. So it was like, you had to go see it yourself in a theater, and a lot of voters, that means they're not going to see it, and so they're not going to vote for it. Like, they want the screener in their house to watch. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of talk about sort of the politics of the Academy voter, you know, that the average Academy member is like a 68-year-old white male. Um, So, you know, not necessarily this movie's demographic, Um, but... I think the bigger issue, uh, specifically when it comes to, like, nominations, um, you know, I I think it probably has a lot more to do with the campaigning aspect of it. Um, You know, you see something like The Imitation Game get nominated, like, all over the board. That's Harvey Weinstein. You know, that's Harvey Weinstein, the, like, epitome of the campaigner, who, you know, they just put these, like, insane publicity... uh, 
efforts together and you know they assault these academy members essentially with screeners and interviews and and all this stuff um to you know keep it right in their minds and yeah it seemed like selma wasn't really the producers weren't really playing that game and and i think we've kind of seen the results of that i think unfortunately it is one of the movies that a certain type of person is not going to go seek out mm-hmm. you know so if you some not all because, what do you think because the subject matter is too not all year old white men yeah but a lot of old 68 year old white men don't want to be reminded be, of, yeah reminded yeah. of what they may or may not have been complicit, complicit in yeah. or still complicit in and are not going to go seek out that movie no, so sure. if you don't like actually send them a screener they're not going to go it's see it. not necessarily I mean it's certainly got kind of a positive ending but it is not a feel good movie you nope. know um, I mean, a lot of these movies aren't, to be honest with you. Um, it's a lot of biopics this year. A lot of them really are pretty subpar. Um, this one, I would say, is not in that group. Um, I would say this is certainly one of the stronger efforts of the year, certainly among the sort of, like, oscar Beatty like, end-of-the-year, like... You've got this... You've got the Alan Turing movie. You've got the Stephen Hawking movie. You've got this movie. Uh, you've got the American Sniper, also a biopic. Like, there's lots of them. Wild. So, and Wild, yeah. Uh, well, Wild's—it's based on a real person, but it's also uh, an adaptation of a novel. I think. Um, I think it's based on her memoir or something. So, well, yeah, um, but how does that make it not a biopic? No, it, I mean it is, but it's—it's—it's. Uh, it's, it's ba- well, everything I, is based on. I would say theory of everything Hawkins is also memoir. based on, on based on memoir. So yeah, it's the same category. But yeah, I mean a lot of the a lot of the heavy hitters there fall under that category. In fact, I think Boyhood is probably the only one that feels like a really kind of wholly original kind of movie that's that's really in the in the pack there. And uh uh Grand Budapest, of course. Um but I mean it's yeah, it uh, most of them I thought were pretty lackluster and this one I thought was very compelling and very strong. And like I mean it's there's a weird sort of alchemy to cinema where it's uh, you know sometimes you can't even quite put your finger on it but you just get this sort of gut feeling this you know react you get a, a pri- like a, a primal reaction to what you see on the screen um and this is a movie i think that really is way more affecting than imitation game or theory of everything like those all felt very kind of hollow to me this is well, in a lot of ways this one's a lot more relevant Exactly. It's hard not. It's hard to watch this movie and not immediately draw parallels to what's been going on, you know, in current events. Uh, which is why I would have thought, oh yeah, probably get a little more attention because it's so relevant to what's happening right now. And I mean, the I, I think you think about it like okay, like stuff like uh, you know, in Ferguson, and that's as soon as the movie ends, they launch into the the credits has the the song. It's John Legend and Common. The only so two, the only one that's getting any. Yeah, yeah. two. It, uh, someone gets two nominations: one. best picture and best original song. The song that plays over the closing credits, and like the like first verse says, like you know, we march in Selma and we stand in Ferguson with our arms raised. So like the movie is not. I mean, the movie itself doesn't really like try to hammer it home in that way but i mean they're not pulling their punches at the end there i mean it's like they're clearly connecting the dots for you yeah they're not unaware of it yeah um i can't help but wonder if there might be some uh if it wouldn't have gotten or if it perhaps is being overlooked because uh 12 years a slave won last year and some of the voters felt like well you know that i don't need to vote for that someone else will vote but for also, that what and, it, 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Great. So we've got a bunch of 68 year old white men sitting in the academy saying, like, oh, we don't need to acknowledge it. We voted for the black movie last year. Yeah, exactly. That's because you don't see them being. That's way worse, right? We don't don't need to nominate Benedict Cumberbatch. We nominated so many white men last year. Yeah, exactly. Never, you never hear that conversation. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it's it's putting it into that context. It's it's almost hard to ignore. It's like, how do you how do how do how do those two things happen? Especially because Twelve Years a Slave. in the end, was nominated for many things, but didn't win much except for Best Picture. Um, it won Best Picture, but did not win director. It did not win actor. Um, and this a great, also has compelling a as a director. I believe. True. Yes. Uh, I think I was. She would have been. It's something she like would have the, been the first African American woman nominated. For absolutely, Best and would have been only like the fourth uh, woman ever, and like the fifth African African American ever. Um, so I mean, it's like yeah, crazy overlap there. Um, I also don't understand though. How you can think something is best picture without thinking that any of its component parts are yeah, apparently exactly. the best in their field. Like, how do you pick it for best picture, but you don't think it has the best screenplay? You don't think it has any of the best actors? You don't think it has the best director? Like, what about it do you think is best then? Yeah, no, it's I don't insane. understand. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, so it's that was certainly a lot of my thinking going into the theater is... Um, and like I said, I've been pretty disillusioned by most of the most of the Oscar-nominated movies this year. I think most of them haven't been all that strong. Um, I've been impressed. I've been impressed with a lot of the acting, but it's yeah. the movies as a whole that yeah. I think haven't been super great. No, absolutely. It's been yeah, exactly. There've been good performances in very lackluster films. So, um, well, let's let's talk about let's talk about this movie a little bit. Uh, you know, a little bit more in depth. Um, I think. We need to figure out which conversation we're about to have. Are we going to talk about the movie as a movie, or the movie as substantive history and content? Well, let's, I mean, let's talk about the movie as a movie. Um, only in, so like, there's a, there's a point that I wanted to make, and this is probably as good a time as any. Um, so the writers did not, did not have access to any of Martin Luther King's actual speeches. Every time he gives a speech in this movie, in one of the churches or on, you know, in Montgomery, those are all fictional speeches that the writers created because uh, somebody else owns the rights to all of his actual speeches. Amazingly, I'm pretty sure it's DreamWorks. I don't know how that shook out. But somebody else owns the actual rights to the text of his speeches. How can you own the rights? Well, same. I don't know. Michael Jackson owned all the Beatles music. I, these things happened, you know. Uh, so they couldn't actually use the text of any of his speeches. So and and there's also been a lot said about uh, how this movie depicts the uh, relationship between King and uh, LBJ. Uh, that is perhaps not necessarily entirely accurate, but perhaps you know played in a different way for the right. dramatics of the story. Well, so I don't I don't think it's necessarily yes these are true events and these things happened you know broadly, but uh, I, you know I think the movie does sort of you know divert a little bit from reality. So even, I think we talk mean, about it as a movie, right? But I mean even even that being said, regardless of whether the substance of the movie is true to history right the movie itself now has yeah. a place in history oh yeah no absolutely and i think that's a very different thing to talk yeah. about than well no well, i thought the direction was good yeah than the acting well no let's talk about the movie as it's on its own merits for i'm not sure where to begin honestly yeah yeah i mean i think in many ways it is challenging especially when thinking about taking it from a gut reaction at first yeah um 
I mean, I'll be honest, my gut, and it was the first thing I said when I got in the car, was that there there's a really large part of me that, that feels very uncomfortable about the idea of podcasting a conversation like this. Yeah. Um, and that's both a, I think for me, rooted in who's around the table and who we were there with and what it's like to leave a movie that has that kind of gut impact and, and lasting impression. Yeah. Um, and know that we have the privilege to come to a table and talk about its merits as a movie. Yes. Um, and so I think, yeah, if there's a part of me that doesn't know where to be. No, there is. There's like a dissociation. Sort of distance yourself yeah, from between the movie and like the, the actual experience at all. Yeah. So here's a here's a great. I don't, you guys were sitting on the other end of the aisle or the other end of the row from us, so I don't know how much of this you were getting. But uh, sit out sitting next to me was an older black woman, and so. We've talked about this before in the past. Like, I, as a moviegoer, have, like, very little patience for other moviegoers, like, not respecting the theater, you know? Yeah, exactly. Taking their phone. There was somebody who was, like, down in the very front row. Yeah, kept taking their phone out, and it was like, oh, it was driving me crazy. Exactly. Um, But, so there was an older black lady sitting next to me, and, like... She wasn't. I, won't, I, I wouldn't say she was being rude. No, she but was every awesome. time, don't you dare speak badly about that. No, woman. no, she was amazing. No, that, but that's the thing. Every so every time her. Martin Luther King gave a speech, whenever he was like in the, the church, whatever, yeah. yeah, she was like sitting next to me, and I could hear her going like, "That's right, uh huh, amen, yeah, that's right," and she was like, and she would clap like softly to herself, and like as a moviegoer, like like. Uh, Aside from the actual movie we're watching, like, that would annoy me to have someone just, like, fucking giving their own little commentary, like, out loud next to me. Especially since she was, like, sitting by herself. So it's not like she was talking to was a person. she was with a friend. Her she friend was, was just behind her. was sitting behind her, exactly. So, but she... Know. No, that's true. She They were sitting above and, above and below each other. So, but it wasn't like she was turning to her friend. She was just, like, doing this all to herself. And, like I said, any other movie, that would drive me nuts. Here, yeah, it feels like it's a different context. And... Yeah. I don't like part of that is it's like it is speaking directly to her experiences exactly and to her experiences exactly that are not 50 years old yeah me but that the, are current yeah me the 20 year old middle class white kid does not get you to tell 20. 20 did I say 20 <laughs> I meant 30 let's try that again me the 30 year old middle class white kid does not get to tell the elder black lady like hey Stop expressing your approval over what's... I, I don't want to hear your endorsement of Martin Luther King. I'm trying to enjoy this movie. You know, like, that's horrifying. So there's, like, a, yeah, there's, like, a weird... How do you approach this kind of material? It's, yeah, it's, it's a little... It's a little... It's a little bizarre. It's, it's, it feels different from, from any other movie. And uh, you're right. I think a large part of that is, you know, the particular cultural relevance of what's going on right now. I mean... And, like, I chuckled at one point, and I kind of looked at you, Jamie, because uh, when they are talking about uh, marching on the bridge, and they're like, well, that's not conducive to traffic patterns. Oh, my and, like, God. I went instantly to 93. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So this past week, for those of you who are not local here in Boston, uh, this past week, there was a whole brouhaha. Yeah, about, um, and this was, like, literally, they were in my hometown, Milton. Um, they they people these people who were protesting uh, under the uh, auspices of the Black Lives Matter you know 
Ferguson, etc., uh, movement, they people who they encased their arms in cement in steel barrels, and then they basically blockaded a highway during rush hour. Um, and, you know, cops had to come and cut them out of these barrels, basically, and redirect traffic, and it was like a whole thing. And, you know, a lot of the city has reacted in ways that like, it's been fascinating to watch people's reaction to this kind of thing because you know it's not quite the same as you know after the ferguson decision and after the new york decision the eric garner decision um where you had you know hundreds thousands of people like gathering together in the common or marching down Storo drive or whatever and it's like a big move it's like these were basically like a dozen people who put their arms in cement and block traffic and so all of a sudden people have been reacting very differently to it where it's like well these are anarchists you know like like it there was no people's reactions literally i was sitting in my office the other day and i listening to people talk about it and i had to walk away because it was like first of all you are all suburban upper class very privileged white people who are you know reacting to this solely under the auspices of oh well you block traffic i i don't like i don't care about what you well, were talking about what seemed to fire a lot of people up at least in my office and stuff yeah um was that there was an ambulance that couldn't get through that was like the one thing that yeah. anyone needed anyone who wanted to complain about this but didn't feel comfortable yeah. doing it in polite you know, company. Not that anybody the died. The second that ambulance got stuck, it was like, yeah. well, now I have a polite way to complain about this. Yeah. Then I have a really polite way to complain about every time the Red Sox games yes. make my commute Yes, home. and yeah. no, like, I, there was this woman, she's a professor, I can't remember where she teaches, but she wrote an article about just that. I guess when she was having one of her kids, she had to be in an ambulance going to the hospital, and it was during Red Sox traffic, and she said not a single car even tried to move out of the way for yeah. the ambulance. And I mean, part of it is like, you can't. I mean, the streets are so narrow, there's literally nowhere for you to go when the streets are packed. But she was like, nobody complains about ambulances then. It's like, now it's exactly that. It's like, yeah. people now have, you don't a, like this have movement. a way to complain about this movement that makes sense, quote unquote. Yeah, like exactly. Now I, oh, it's not about the movement. That ambulance couldn't get through, and that's just dangerous, and I don't approve. Ambulances can never get through this city, ever. Yeah, exactly. It happens all the time. And that's the thing. It's like, you know, they, they their people's reactions had nothing to do with... They were reacting as if the protesters' sole goal was, well, we just are doing this just because we want to block traffic. If that was their goal, like, yes, then they would be anarchists. We just want to interrupt the system for the sake of interrupting the system. That was how I heard so many people react to the situation. And it's like, no, you realize there's, like, a larger statement that they're trying to make here, that, like, this is the only way we can get attention to these matters, you know? Right. What I will say, I think, about that is that compares it to the earlier protests, is to have a dozen or so. You know, that's a, a much... Much more poorly organized yeah, exactly. statement than we had when those decisions came down. And to take it back to the movie, what felt, and I know Bart has thoughts on this scene as well, but what one of the things that stayed with me was the conversation when they're in the room saying, what is our actual ask? Yeah. What are, if we want to change the law, what are the Yeah, is it the poll tax? Is it the, the, yeah, yeah, all those different things, yeah. And, and there was something to me that was very affecting about seeing that in that movie. Absolutely. We are you know, taught and told and share these stories of the March on Washington and the March of Montgomery and these huge speeches and these gatherings and to see the questions that the movement was grappling with. Yeah. 
I think actually make it much more relevant to right now. Absolutely. We should be asking what what are we trying to accomplish and what are the most important things to do right now to do first to yeah, no, and you, and you see that in the movie, you know, there's the, the SCLC and SNCC, and they're sort of, you know, trying to go, kind of going back and forth between the people who are, like, on the ground every day, like, trying to do work, not getting very far, versus the, you know, the, the national movement that comes in, they you know, they from the SNCC standpoint, it's like, well, they, they blow into town, they bring in a lot of TV cameras, they get a lot of attention, and then they leave, and then what happens after they leave? Rile things up to yeah. get a lot of TV attention. Exactly. And then and it feels like both of those points, I mean, obviously, like, you know, we have the historical perspective of, like, you know, Martin Luther King as Martin Luther King, so, you know, it's hard not to see that the guy who's the head of SNCC as, like, kind of petulant acting as kind of like the pet especially since he's younger than everybody else as being like kind of the petulant child but i mean that's a but it's a very valid concern it's a very valid argument to sort of see these like two ends of the of the spectrum kind of like how do we actually what's the best way to actually make change happen and there's another interesting side to that which you know i think is one of the few missteps of the film is that I don't under, like I kind of don't get why they bothered to include Malcolm X in this movie. That's what I was gonna say. Like he blows in for like a scene just to talk to Curtis Scott King. He doesn't. We don't actually see him like give an address or change. Like she tells Martin Luther King about this address he gave or whatever, but we don't see it. And then he dies off screen. Yeah, they yeah. mention it. They're like, he spoke here three weeks he ago. He spoke, whatever. That, that and then he does, dies off screen. That so it does like, make me wonder if there was a scene and they cut it. Yeah, exactly. But it's like, if they cut that, like, I they, I feel they like they should have just cut. Cut him entirely. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the only reason you keep it is it's like, it gives Coretta Scott King, it gives the more Coretta Scott King material, basically. Because otherwise she doesn't have a lot going on the, in that movie. The dichotomy between the two approaches. Yeah. And I think it... Yeah, because they talk about, oh, we want to keep him in. And that's another really interesting level to this, which is, like, all of the white politicians, you know, Johnson and his and his uh, staff basically saying, like, no, 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 we want to keep... Like, Martin Luther King would be a pain in our ass, but, you know, he's better, he's he's better than the militants. Exactly. So, like, we want to keep him as the face of the movement so we don't have to deal with these, but like, militants. But I do like the idea, and I don't know to what extent this is historically accurate, but the idea of Malcolm X being aware of that and being like, well, then use me to do that. Like, yeah. let me be that guy that they they hate so that they will run to Barton with open arms because if that's the way we're going to get this change then I'm happy to yeah. basically like throw myself in front of the bus like, well and exactly and the movie kind of hits him at an interesting point in his life because yeah by the end there you know Malcolm X he had moved, he had distanced himself from the nation of Islam and he says like I don't have an army anymore like I'm now I'm just a guy you know so um yeah I I I, I don't know if I wanted to see more of that or if I would have just rather him not be present. But it just sort of felt very awkward to get one scene and then have someone and then have him sort of casually say, oh, and then he died yesterday. And you're like, wait, what? Uh, why why did we see him at all then? Well, as short as it was, he did offer, I think, also another facet in what yeah. Martin Luther King's experience was. Yeah. I think I would have just liked to see his speech, maybe. Like, maybe if we'd just seen his speech a little bit, no, I think that would have been I think fun. that would have made it a more solid kind of thing yeah. if we saw his speech. But yeah, I do like seeing, you know, Martin's reaction to how upset he is about the way King is, about the way um, Malcolm X has treated him and, and yeah. the things that he said about him. Um, to go back, though, to what you were saying about that scene where they were discussing what to say, 
Yeah. Because I always, whenever I go into a movie like this where it's, like, not the person's entire life, but it's, like, one specific chapter. Which I, I always, always prefer. Well, I always go into it, like, with the question in my head of, like, I wonder why they picked this specific chapter. Like, oh, sure. why, you know, why not... Um, the March on Washington. The why Birmingham not? Bus why not? Yeah. Bad. Why yeah. not the Montgomery bus? He's boycott? got a lot like, why, behind him already. Yeah. At this like point. why yeah. Selma? Why Selma specifically? And I mean, obviously, when they started making it, they didn't know Ferguson was going to happen. Like nothing right. to that level. And but it's but the thing is, and what I think the movie helps you remember is that things like Ferguson were always happening. It's just that you don't hear about them Absolutely. as much. You know. So I thought that. You know, I know a lot of people who always want to talk about the surface issues and don't want to confront the deeper, more systemic, institutionalized racism. You know, yeah. they want to fall back on all that surface stuff of like, oh, well, you know, people just like generally not like just minorities, but like poor people, anyone, you know, oh, well, they just need to like get better jobs. And they like, it's just so easy. Like there's just something they're not doing. There's some yeah. easy fix that they're not doing. And they even bring it up in the movie. And so I really appreciated those two scenes where it's like, as they're discussing what are we going to ask for, they're getting deeper and deeper into the systemic stuff. It's like, well, we just need the right to vote. And then someone's like, well, even if we have the right to vote, we can't afford the poll taxes. So we need to get rid of the poll tax. Okay, well, even if we got rid of the poll tax, we have this voucher system and nobody can... You have to get the voucher so you can pay the tax so you can get into the thing and have your stuff published and then get killed. Yeah, but then also that conversation that they had in prison, which I thought was huge and really stuck with me, where King is just like, okay, so we fought to be allowed to sit at the same lunch counter and now we can, but what does it matter if the black men at the lunch counter can't afford the burger for lunch and if they can't even read the menu? Yeah. Yeah, because there was no Negro school where they grew up. And so it's just like, you're not talking about something simple like, oh, well, we'll give this kid a scholarship to college and we'll fix everything, yeah. you know? Or you let him sit at the same table and we'll fix everything, you know? It's not it's not that, and it hasn't been that even in the last 50 years, and no Those one wants to scenes. deal with that. Yeah. Those yeah. are the scenes that felt the most relevant. Oh, right absolutely, now. yeah. Even like stuff, even just simple stuff like, uh, you know, George Wallace, you know, talks, gives a speech and he's talking about, you know, here in the cradle of the Confederacy. And like constantly they're seeing like in the South, if people, he's got Confederate flags hanging behind him. And like part of me is thinking like, oh my God, like ridiculous 1960s and they're still holding up the Confederacy. And I'm like, 1960s, they're doing that right now. It's like still on the there are people, yeah, 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 absolutely. There are people who still drive, you know, you go, we were just in Nashville and it's like you drive through the South and it's like, you know, people have Confederate Visit flags. the home of Stonewall Jackson. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then visit the home of Andrew Jackson. I was like, you got to pick better heroes, Tennessee. Yeah. Confederate flag bumper stickers on trucks. I mean, literally, we, I was joking about it, but, uh, you know, Jamie's, we saw Jamie's cousin, and she lives in Atlanta, and she was like, oh, you've got to come to Stone, Stone Mountain. Mountain. Which Stone I Jackson, did, Jackson, I, e. I did not. David. I went to Stone Mountain at least, like, five or six times as a child and did not know what it was until I was an adult. To me, it was just, like, the place where the laser show was. It's the place where the laser show is until you hear the guy behind behind you teaching his five-year-old that those are the three heroes of the confederacy yes well yeah. as daily now calls Joe clan Martin. mountain yeah daily was like i'm I not going clan to clan mountain, mountain. yeah yeah, yeah my mean, pointy hat is at the cleaners i'm it sorry was made by the clan they put it together it was I their thing i mean yeah. i grew up in louisiana when david duke was still an active politician yeah like who had been voted into stuff yeah so but yeah no some of that stuff yeah like, and that was the thing for me where i literally had that moment. I was like no 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 that's that's still a problem we're having. Like, your Confederate flags hanging, you know. I would say the right to vote is still a problem. Absolutely. Yeah. No. I was going to say, that's why, the whole movie, I just kept thinking, like, this is, like, 
I, and I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately, but it's like, this is like when we first started watching Mad Men and everyone was like, isn't it such great satire? And I was like, no, have you turned on the news? This, this is would, all still happening. Yeah, I was like, yeah. this would be funny if it weren't still going on. Yeah. Like, if women weren't still being treated this way, then it would be hilarious. So this is a similar kind of thing because it's just like, yes, this whole, oh, they're coming up with all these stupid ways to let people or to prevent people from voting. Like, oh, well, you have to be able to tell me all the judges, something yeah. they would never do to a white person. But it's like, still are fighting voter ID laws and redistricting lines and gerrymandering. I mean, it's like, we're still trying to take the vote away from people as much as we possibly can. Absolutely. And that scene, so let's talk about Oprah for a few minutes here. Oprah, like, I feel like much has been made about Oprah being in this movie. And she produced it, you know, Harp, it's Harp, Harpo movies or Harpo films or whatever. Um, so she, you know, she had a big hand, I think, behind the scenes and getting making this movie happen. Um, but, I mean, she's really got two scenes in this movie she's got the scene where she tries to register to vote she's got the scene where they you know assemble outside the courthouse and then she stands silently in a march and she sits down in a courtroom and like doesn't say anything so she's basically got like two strong scenes in this movie uh the first one i actually like that scene with her trying to register to vote is great it's a great scene yeah um and exactly it's like literally and i was thinking about it's like you know, I'm I'm kind of a politics nerd. Like, I will sit and watch every primary debate for every election, whatever. I couldn't recite the preamble of the Constitution right now. You know, I got like I don't first, know how many I county got, like, judges the first there two are. Two and a half yeah. lines, and yeah. then that was all I got. I don't know and how many county I, judges yeah, there are in Massachusetts. Like, come on, are you kidding me? Like, are. it's ridiculous standards. But I I love like seeing someone who's like they're willing to. Like, clearly, it was like, she says, oh, everything's right this time. So it was like, clearly, this is the, like, third, fourth, seventh time she's been there. And it's like, every time they, like, throw something down. So she just learns more and learns more. Like, the, like the constantly moving the goalpost back. Like, that's the most frustrating thing in the world. I think she's lovely in that scene. And then, you know, later in the in the protest scene. But I, I kind of expected to see a lot more of her in this movie. I was surprised that I think it's there more wasn't people more wanting to be a part of the movie and I don't think anyone in it necessarily cares how big their part is you know Cuba Gooding Jr's in it for two oh, scenes Oh yeah yeah, you know, yeah. no like, no no I think because people want to serve the greater cause of the movie I know I don't mean that I just mean like I feel like a lot of attention has been paid to like Oprah is in this movie and I was and she basically disappears after the first 20 minutes that is true. White people do really like Oprah. I mean, I, that is very much correct. You say it isn't playing the game at all, and I'm sure that she. Well, and to I was gonna say, I mean, that's her role, and that's one of those things that I guess is more surprising to me that, like, when you have someone like Oprah, who is like not only like a champion of this movie, but like produced this movie mm-hmm. and was in this movie, like, and yeah, getting beaten up. Yeah, exactly. It's I surprising to not have to see like more of her, like. You know, you you would think she's a little more media savvy that she would be kind of more on that on that ball to make sure this movie's getting more of a t- more attention. You know, before I mean before the Oscars. And Brad Pitt as well, and he produced Brad Pitt exactly. Twelve years of yeah. Yep, he did indeed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Brad Pitt, whitest white guy alive. I don't know. Can't can't catch a break. That Brad Pitt can't catch a break. So yeah, hard. His life is so terrible. Yeah, right. <laughs> God. Fucking A, man. Living in that chateau in France. Ugh. Six kids. Yeah. His winery. Making award-winning rosé. God. Um, tragedy. I had some... Uh, at first, the so there's this 
constant device used throughout the movie that I thought was really... At first, I was kind of put off by it, but after, like, the third or fourth time, I think, like, it kind of hit me, and I kind of loved it, which is the, um, like, the typeface that would come across the screen. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Because at first, I was like, oh, this is just, like, a really inelegant way of telling me who's in the room and, like, what's going on or whatever. And then I realized, like, I think that's the second or third time, I was like, oh, no, wait. This isn't informational. This isn't, like, you know, a subtext giving me, like, the date or whatever. It's like, this is literally just telling me, like, the FBI is listening into all their phone calls. And, like, how... Because, you know, we talk like J. Edgar Hoover, who has, like, you know, Dylan Baker shows up for a minute as J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, but, you know, he was sort of notorious for keeping tabs on all of these civil rights activists and whatnot. But, like, every... It's, it's so, uh, like disconcerting to literally see people like sitting in a room having a private conversation and then see that typeface come across the screen that's like you know these people were in this room this phone call was made or whatever and you're like jesus christ like well and also i mean how perfunctory some of it was and that it became like just de facto it became spun yeah you can't say that somebody is inciting something. I mean, it's one line about a whole conversation. It's... Yeah, exactly. Uh, but I, 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 yeah, at first I was kind of off put, put or put off by it, but I actually really liked it after a little while. Um, I, I, I was kind of clever. I think the they kept putting a little like seal up there, which yeah, I feel I, like that might have been a, a, a little bit over the over. I, I don't know. See, I, got, I got the sense that they first did it without that, and then it wasn't clear enough. Oh yeah. And I, I just felt like they added that. On an edit. Like, oh, maybe. No, it needs to be clear this is the FBI. Well, it's not the FBI seal that's up there. It's because I, I was it reading it and it says like it says something else and I, it was like not something that the was familiar is, to me. It's, it's government surveillance. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. Because it, it because it causes the whole dynamic with with Johnson. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Um, what did you think about? I mean, I like I said a lot of hay has been made about. That, about, you know, that Johnson maybe wasn't quite as antagonistic as he's portrayed in this movie. Um, I mean, even if that's true, I'm kind of okay with it here. Like I said, it, those are some; those are great scenes. Every time he talks to the president, like those are all great scenes. I also love the idea that he just had like that level of access, where yeah. you know the guy, where the you know the the uh, priest from Boston gets killed and then he just goes get somebody get me a phone and then he's just on the phone with Johnson like from somebody's living room or whatever you know like I, that's something about that is like kind of great to me yeah. um, but I think Wilkinson's fantastic as LBJ yeah. Um, yeah. I actually really I really like the scene with him and George Wallace oh yeah uh, are, Pirates King are you, George yeah room. are you shitting me are you are you trying to shit me like <laughs> It's such a weird use of profanity, but I kind of love it. Trying to fuck over your president. Yeah, exactly. But it's it, and it's great. It's like and that's you know I think there is sort of a truth to that where you know LBJ spends the whole movie kind of saying like, look, I'm trying to do other stuff. Like this is not this, like this is your issue. I've got other things I'm trying to deal with, and like we're making progress and whatever. But like you know you got to be patient. You got to wait. And it's not until you are literally faced with someone the likes of George Wallace that you finally go like, I, you are not me, and I do not want to be lumped in with the likes of you. Like this is not, and especially as a you know for a president, it's like, yeah, he's right. I'm not thinking about 1963. I'm thinking about 1983. Like I, I want how's history going to remember me? 
because that's you know presidents that's how his that's that's kind of the deal so you know I, to be literally faced with that kind of stark contrast uh, he never came off as particularly antagonistic to me johnson just, yeah he just came off as a politician doing political stuff yeah you know playing politics and you know i mean it's it wasn't untrue what he said. You know, you are an activist. You have one issue. Yeah. I'm a president. I have, I have 101, 101 issues. issues. Yeah. And it's, and it's true. I mean, it's, that's the way it works. I'm not saying it's good. Yeah. It's, I mean, I guess I would have, uh, yeah, you could have tempered it a little bit. You could have shown, like, obviously it's the Martin Luther King movie, but like, you know, not that I want to see Johnson working on other stuff, but you know, to see, to get a little sense of what else he think, was going on aside from Selma. To. I mean, they brought up the war on poverty. Yeah. You know, quite directly. Absolutely, yeah. You know, and he, and he tried to bring him in on it. You know, I don't know if that's true, but, yeah. um, you know, they presented that anyway. I don't know. I mean, I think if they wanted to vilify Johnson, they could have. Oh, sure. I mean, I, I don't think they paint him as the villain, per se, yeah. but he's certainly... You know, he's the rock in the road. Or he's, you know, he's the tree stump in the road. He's the immovable object. He's the thing that is in their way. He's their impediment, you know? Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I love Wilkinson. I think he's I think he's actually kind of great. Um, I'm glad they didn't go, you know, I'm glad he did not go overboard trying to do, like, the Texas accent. Yeah. Um, because that all, that, like, sometimes that that's works. Just, Yeah, I'm, like, I'd rather have him just be like, yeah, you're Tom Wilkinson, you're Johnson, fine, whatever. Like, it would have been fine. Uh, I'm, I, I'm glad they didn't do that. It would have been a little silly, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I actually really like Tim Roth as, as George Wallace. Um, I mean, he doesn't get a lot to do, but he's, you know, I, he they make him George Wallace is such a ridiculous historical figure. Like it's hard not to make him feel kind of like a cartoon character. Yeah. Um, I think he brings like just the right level of. Uh, I, I don't. I don't want to say humanity, but he feels like a person. You know, like he doesn't just feel like a like a mustache twirling racist villain. He feels like he feels like a right, guy. The right sort of mix of a wealthy southern politician yeah. approach on states rights yeah exactly right that it's like oh that's it's not my job it's it's yep. delegated to the counties but mm-hmm. there are people and we need federal assistance yeah and you're like i don't oh, i don't think so i think david Oyelowo does amazing work as martin luther king like i think it is like we you know we were talking about this earlier it's a, a lot of the big Academy movies this year, like the movies haven't been very good, but they've had good performances. I mean, I think he's fantastic. Uh, it's, I think it's astounding that he was not nominated. He feels like one of the big oversights here. I mean, I think, uh, Ava DuVernay for directing and particularly him in the lead, like those are shocking misses for me. Um, I think he had extraordinary support. Oh Yeah. The idea that that there wasn't a single supporting actor or supporting actress that they could have found to give a nomination. Yeah, to. I mean, I, I think like it's they better get a best ensemble set well, award at the very least. And that's the thing. It's like, there are so many of them, and they're all doing such good work. And that's the part of me that actually almost isn't surprised that there isn't a best supporting actor because it feels like there isn't like a single standout supporting actor role in this movie. Like, there's a lot. He's got a big entourage, and they all have like 
a couple of nice moments like uh, Wendell Pierce has a has a good bit um, the guy from the Nick has a, has like a good scene it's like they all hit like kind of one good scene but there isn't like Credit Scott King the one place Credit Scott King is probably your best your best bet for supporting but it's such an ensemble I would kind of understand the difficulty pinning down like one supporting I mean arguably Johnson is like the biggest supporting character That's in the fair. movie you yeah. know yeah. which like that would feel really weird um can you imagine if they only nominated him? Right? Wouldn't Whoa. that be hilarious? No. They not give not one acting award to sell. No, like in a really horrifying way. Yeah, hilarious in a really horrifying way. No, I, I think I, I think he's great. And like, I don't think, you know, he doesn't get a lot of like Oscar scenes. You know, where it's like, oh, the scene where he cries or the scene where whatever happens. You know, he gets to do a he gets a couple of really great speeches, which again, you know completely fabricated wholesale which is amazing because uh, they're great speeches they're really really good speeches so the fact that they're not his actual speeches is almost even more surprising um but it's one of those roles that it's like especially when you're when you're portraying an actual uh, historical person y- like you watch it and you go like i don't know how like i can't Im- he feels like the sort of like he, the definitive martin luther king for a while. Like, I don't see anybody else tackling that character for quite some time. Mm. Um, I felt the same way when I watched... Uh, uh, Lincoln? Yeah, Lincoln uh, He was great. And also, um, Michelle Williams as uh, as Marilyn Monroe. She was amazing. Um, and there, I mean, Naomi Watts was doing a Marilyn movie at the same time, but Michelle Williams was just so strong in that role. It's like, I, like it's almost hard to dissociate the character from like the actual person um that portrayal from the actual person and i felt exactly that same way here it's like no one's going to make a martin luther king movie for you know 10 years at least because how do you live up to that i mean you see him show up as like a supporting character in some things like someone will play him for a scene in another movie or whatever but it's like you you have a martin luther king like it's hard that's a very high bar to live up to um yeah, I just, I just, I just think he's he's absolutely fantastic, um, but I really think Ava DuVernay, like the direction here is so strong. There are some incredible choices made here. Uh, I really love the. This is like a super nerdy thing to talk about, but I really love the color correction of this movie. Like, there's this sort of golden hazy quality to the to the picture that it makes everything it's almost like you're watching a movie shot with an instagram filter you know like it makes everything sort of feel vintagey made the transition into the actual footage yeah Mm -hmm. very seamless and that's a great like that's a great moment at the end there and that's like again that's how you know this was a movie that like had that was powerful and that like really captivated the audience because the movie ends and the credits start, and they're playing, you know, the, the common John Legend song is playing, and there are still images of the actors, and not one person in that theater got out of their seat. This was 11.15 on a Sunday morning, and there were lots of kids in the, not a lot of kids, but there were, like, families in the audience. Not one person got out of their seat until, like, that montage ended, and the lights came up a little bit, and then the, like, standard credits started to roll. But I will say, speaking of the kids, um, I was a little bit worried because when all those kids first came into the theater, 
like 20 minutes before the movie started they were running around yeah they were like spreading out and sitting in different sections and shouting at each other from the different sections yeah i was like oh my god is that what this is gonna be we're gonna have these like 10 15 year olds just like ruining the entire and a very white audience also Um, like there was the lady standing next to me and her friend behind her but for the most part very white audience I don't understand how that's connected to what I was saying. I'm just bitching about teenagers in general, regardless <laughs> well, of skin color. Not only teenagers, um, but old folks as well. Like, there was an older couple I'm who were sitting below us. I'm making a specific point about the teenagers okay, that make you're your not letting teenagers. me finish. Teenagers are awful. Jesus. Make your point about the teenagers. They were running around screaming in the entire theater before the movie started. I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those movies where the kids are just here to goof off. Like, mom and dad drop them at the theater, and they'll be back for them in two and a half hours. And in the next two and a half hours, they're just going to be awful um no as soon as the movie started not a peep from them yeah like they sat and watched the entire movie they did not seem to be the ones getting their phones out like yeah they were not disrupting the movie like they were just completely into the movie and so then i a felt bad for preemptively judging Judging them them, but also like i think it's okay to prejudge teenagers they were running around being very loud you guys weren't there yet but they were literally running around and sitting in different sections and shouting at each other like the view's much better from up here and i was like oh my god yeah there was one kid Um, who was sitting like directly below you guys and like the whole rest of his family was sitting down below for some reason like they got one seat in the normal section i don't think he was really supposed to sit there i think he was just running around Yeah, maybe i don't know um but like they were completely attentive and so then it did make me think you know how much of this is so relevant to their lives that they couldn't help but pay attention, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, it, you know, Daly was telling me there were some places where they wanted, like, middle schoolers and high schoolers and stuff to come see it for free. So, like, with a student... Yeah, this whole coming week, yeah. And so I was just like, that really seems like a good idea because this really does seem like it should be required viewing for a large portion of the population. Well, I had the same similar moment, like, right before the movie started because there was, like, an older couple who were sitting down below and they had those little second-screen device things so that they could get the closed captioning. Uh, And, like... Like right before the movie started, like the husband turned to say something to his wife and was just like shouting, like yeah. full volume. And she was like, "Honey, quiet, stop! I, yeah, I hear it. Stop it, stop!" But I was like, "Oh God, is this going to be like the two of them like, shouting at each other?" It's like you've got closed captioning. Are they going to be <laughs> shouting the whole fucking movie? But no, they were great. Everybody, the whole theater was actually like very, very polite and attentive for the most part. I was, I was very impressed. Um, yeah, I think I think Ava DuVernay does incredible work here. Um, I think the movie looks great. Um, she's got a she's got a great visual eye. Like the framing of some of these shots is fantastic. I particularly love, you know, he's got the two great speeches in the church, um, and the first one, you know, he's very small in the frame a lot of times. Like he's sort of down low and center, and like a lot of it is like the pipe organ behind him and the bigger church because it's. You know, we're sort of talking about, like, the bigger movement or whatever. And then he comes back the second time for the funeral, and it's, like, it's much more close up, and you, like, bring it in to him, and, you know, it really hits you in a different way. Um, I love, well, I shouldn't say that, the explosion at the very beginning, that might be the most artful explosion I've ever seen in a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's horrifyingly, like, violent and eruptive when it first happens, but then you just have that like slow kind of impressionistic it's like there's a body part floating and there's debris but you can't really 
tell what it is. Um, I really yeah, so love it wasn't that. So much body parts, so much as it was like the little lace piece of a little mm-hmm. girl's dress. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't like oh, there goes a limb. It was yeah. like it was oh, like, here's there a f- goes a leg with the piece of the yeah. dress and those beautiful like like folded little 60s frilly, socks yeah, frilly that, socks you know, and that stuff. Their yeah, picked out for them before this day. Exactly. And it's I, so sudden. Yeah. I know, right? It was one of those, it's like, you. we've gotten, I think, a little bit jaded to car accidents now. It's like whenever the camera is shot in a certain way and you can, like, see the window over the person's shoulder, you're like, you're going to get hit by a car. Yeah. Um, But this was very shocking. And it was just so quickly done in the middle of their, like, cute little conversation about hair. Yeah, and then it's just the wall comes Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also really loved, you know, that the... The sequence in the diner is just... That might be the most, like, shocking two minutes of cinema of the year. I mean... With Jay? Yeah. That were the... You know, the guy and his his parents, and he hustles them into the diner, and the cops just come in and just start... And, like, they don't even flinch. There's no hesitation. That is the most, like, unsettling scene in any movie I think I've seen this year. Like... I sat bolt upright. I was sitting forward. I mean, it is horrifying on a prim- like visceral level. To say, I think the scene right after it was worse. Like, I actually had to talk myself into staying in my seat because it was like I kind of wanted to leave. When when Martin Luther King comes to see the the dad, the, the old corner. man, oh, yeah, yeah, like I, grandpa, yeah, I he's had so such good a lump too. in my yeah, throat, and it was like I just wanted to leave because I yeah. felt like my throat was on fire because I was like stuffing down crying, and I yeah. was just like, I can't. This is the worst thing that I've ever had is... to watch in my entire life. This, it, old, yeah. this old man talk about how like. I mean, he was born just after slavery yeah. was ended, like just a couple decades after slavery was ended, and just talking about how great his grandson was, what a, like how he fought in the army and everything, mm-hmm. and how, yeah, and he was always a good boy, and how he promised him, like, you're going to vote before you go, you know, like, I'm going to get you registered to vote before you die, and stuff like that, and just like, oh, God, like, that was the worst. And again, and it's hard not to see something like that. I mean, like, that stuff is disturbing on it, in its own right, but it's, again, like, you can't watch that and not think of, Eric Garner being chokeholded to death on the sidewalk for no particular reason, you know, um, you know that like that's what that's what we're talking about here, and maybe and that's why that scene hit you so hard. In my mind, when that gunshot went off, yeah, was I scan like I scanned the shot for who's got a smartphone out, and it's like, oh right, this is. Like 1964. Yeah. No yeah. one has smartphones. Nobody's no filming this. Yeah. Exactly. And and so we know it was a state yeah, trooper, no, but we don't know more than that. And that's specifically yeah. what they said. I mean, that's even what the cops said is like that they wanted to scare them and they wanted to stop them and they per- purposely picked this night march to go do it because they knew there would be no film cameras. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like they purposely did it then because no one would ever see them and no one would ever know and so it wouldn't matter. But even like the Bloody Sunday scene, like, and that that is another scene where it's like you watch that and you're like, how does this not, how does she not get a Best Director nomination? Like that sequence is fantastic. The way it's staged and the way it's sort of narrated by the reporter giving his notes over the phone um that was incredible it's so great uh and 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 it's again really disturbing but so well so well shot so well staged um and and it's like there's a great sense of 
like geography it's not i mean obviously there's like it's chaotic but like you get a sense of like where everybody is and what's going on she has that like just very tender touch when yeah. she deals with violence and this like that slow impression mm-hmm. sort of thing wasn't just at the beginning she yeah. has it on the bridge with the tear gas up she has it when when the young boy dies mm-hmm. um and she has it again when they're beating the priest yeah right and then they go to martin and they're like someone got hurt and they come back for the slow. Yeah. They're like, he's dead. Slow yeah, yeah, he yeah. lands on the concrete and stuff. Yeah. But also, like, it's a quick scene, but it also just goes to tell you, like, the power of the press. Because, I mean, the fact that that guy, first of all, is transmitting his entire story by phone. Yeah. Um, but then the way he tells it, you know, it's like you wouldn't be able, even if you, you were 500, 1,000 miles away, to read that story and not feel for these people you know the way he framed that story and the words he used like all of their belongings skittering across the bridge yep the white people on the sidelines cheering which is like the most horrifying thing down. they've got clubs wrapped in barbed wire and yeah. shit you're like oh my god it's so it's so terrible and so it just like we have such issues with our press now and wondering if they're giving us the full story and what they're doing and i, I know you could make the argument that that guy was giving all kind of one-sided view and yeah. whatever but he was telling it the way it needed to be told for you to understand why this is such a big deal and why this is an issue that should concern everyone absolutely and i and i actually really and i really like that bit as well like not only the way they staged like what's going on on the bridge but like all the different people watching on television even cutting to like you know LBJ and George Wallace and you know the priest and you know the random couple whatever um I also and men also like in the realm of like Heartbreak City you know you get used to at the end of a movie when they have the like this is what happened to this character this is what happened to that character and they cut to that like and they took that that one white woman who mm-hmm. is killed by Klansmen five hours after the speech like Jesus like it, it it just it, like it makes your skin crawl. It makes you like flinch. I, it's I I just again I'm I understand that like the you know the Oscars are more politics than anything else. It's more politics than achievement. But I, it is just mind boggling to me how you know you this gets basically no attention compared to. The Imitation Game, The Theory of Everything, these movies that, for both those movies are essentially interchangeable. They are of mediocre quality at best, and we will see 50 more movies exactly like that. You know? Like, this is a singular film. Uh, I, I just... the more, Like, the longer we sat in there, the more astounded I was um, that it could be so massively overlooked like that. Um... I, I mean, this is this would easily be in my, you know, best of the year movies, um, and that's something that is not true of most of the movies that are nominated for Oscars this year. Um, and part of me actually wonders, you know, how this will play out. And this is really stupid, but how this will play out when it comes to the be- the best original song Oscar, because it's literally the it's I. I don't think it'll win Best Picture simply because it wasn't nominated anywhere else. Although it's possible that everybody feels so guilty after the fact that they all vote for it because it didn't get nominated anywhere else. But I almost feel like, you know, what are the odds that, you know, suddenly it, people start deciding they feel guilty and vote for it for Best Original Song? Because otherwise I would say the Lego Movie song would win in a walk. But, like, I don't know. You might get a little white, white guilt vote. In, in that well, category. The Lego movie is also people of color. 
that well they're yellow yes that's true and red and green and yes they're blue astronauts i did not just say all legos are asian that's not what i was trying to say really really not all not all legos are asian all legos are yellow they're not not all asian Uh, no, hashtag not all You're Legos. really going to keep exactly. all that in there? <laughs> well, no, probably we'll not. Yeah, we'll probably cut that out. Yeah. One of the things that the movie left me thinking about, um, my one of my uh, advisors in grad school gave a keynote address at the Tate Museum in London in 2012 about access and equity in arts education. And part of the central point that he was making is that where we see the least access and the least equity in in terms of the quality of the arts ed is in large urban school districts or mm-hmm. rural school districts with children predominantly of color. Um, and he spoke about how this all kind of happened in the like back-to-basics education of, well, these kids can't read, so it's more important that we give them literacy than that we give them access to arts learning experiences. Um, and his speech draws on the American slave experience and the writings of Frederick Douglass talking about how at the time there was a systematic effort to ensure that blacks did not know how to read and that where they found expression was through the arts, through singing, through music, through painting and pulsing. And um, anyways, and so he talks about the experience now and what, what we should be doing and what a different focus might affect in terms of the achievement gap. Um, Anyways, and I mentioned this because when we were in the car, I was trying to find a transcript of the speech, and mm. it only exists on SoundCloud. Oh, really? Yes, and so I'll send you the link. Thank it actually is, was one of the most, um, Steve gave it as a speech in one of our classes. In oh, Rockland great. School. Not, well, what's his name? Steve Seidoff. Steve Seidoff. All right, so yeah, let's I, look I, that I, up on SoundCloud. I, that I sounds great. Perhaps we could... Uh, Give it a plug. A post, well, or, or just or link post it. a link, or yeah. Link it, absolutely, yeah, I'll link it in the post. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can we just talk for one hot second about our trailers this week? So before the movie started, we many many trailers, I yeah, should say. We did, actually. But the first two that we got were back-to-back Kevin Costner movies. One was uh, his like cross-country movie where he teaches Mexicans how to run cross-country. McFarlane. Yeah, um, and then USA. yeah, McFarland. That's what it is, McFarland USA. And then the other one is a movie where uh, he's. Uh, raising his granddaughter by himself because her mother died and the grandmother died. Uh, so he's raising his little black granddaughter by himself and uh, her, you know, black, like the other grandmother, the black grandmother, like wants custody and it's like going back and forth. What's the the best thing for the child whatever and then the movie is called black or white and both of these trailers the hashtag is love has no color there you go i, I didn't even catch that that's yeah. amazing yeah, no, I saw that one. holy <laughs> shit and there's literally a scene in the trailer where he's like in court and they're like do you hate black people and he says well not all of them that's i hate those questions <laughs> like that because it's like when i hate people it has nothing to do with their skin color it's like if I hate a black person, it's because of something they've done. But that's the same reason I hate white people. It's because of the stupid crap they do that annoys yeah. me, you know? So it's like, don't ask a question like that. Because what are you supposed to do? Be like, no. Because yeah. it's like, no one loves everybody. But it was Everybody lit- hates somebody. Literally two trailers. One where Kevin Costner learns to love black people. And one where Kevin Costner learns to love Mexicans. It was like, Jesus in Christ. In movie, he had the great, tell your father it was an honor being in his home. Yeah. And they speak Tell English. him I said yeah. you're welcome. Yeah. But Holy that, shit. That was so weird. Especially that, before this movie. It, what that made me think of, though, was Million Dollar Arm. Because oh, yeah. Million Dollar 
Charm is a perfectly sweet little movie about two boys from India who are recruited by John Hamm to Hamm. yeah to play baseball for the U.S. Um, but there, but it is very much a movie about John Hamm. Like yeah. when you turn, white guy like, goes to when India. you look at the character arcs, he is a typical like I work too much and it is making my personal life suffer and I don't appreciate like my family and my friends and this woman who could be my girlfriend because all I do is work 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 and then he brings these boys back from India and because of their like life where they like miss their family so much and they're so family oriented and stuff like that he starts to understand more about like the important things of life and eventually like gets together with Amanda Pete and everything and it's a perfectly fine movie. Uh, it's not Amanda Pete. It's isn't it? Uh, oh, it's Lake Bell. Bell. It's Lake Bell. Bell who looks who looks exactly like a young like Amanda, Amanda Pete. Yeah. Um. Whatever. All white women look the same. <laughs> so. I didn't want to talk about it. So. I said to Daly when we finished seeing that movie, I was like, "That was a great movie, I guess. Like it was, it was fun, and the acting was really good, and everything. There was literally no reason for that to be John Hamm's story. Like that should have been those boys' story. Yeah, because they are the interesting people who are far away from home and undergoing all these struggles and trials to try to make their dream come true. It should be a story about them. Why is this a movie about John Hamm? So then you've got those two Kevin Costner movies, which are very clearly movies about Kevin Costner, um, and not about." the little girl who yeah. has lost her entire family and right. now people are fighting or, or about the these kids who are struggling with the race relations in their tiny Texas town yeah. and are trying to do better for themselves. Like, no, these are movies about Kevin Costner. Um, one of the things I loved about Selma is I feel like most movies, and this is like, for to some extent, what they have to do, most movies that are dealing with race or dealing with primarily minority cast always have a white person who is like a main character and is usually almost like the protagonist who is like the access point for the white audience so that they can feel like included in the movie and that they can feel like it's okay for them to watch it and it's okay for them to explore race through this white person and i loved that selma did not have that yeah you know like toward the end they do talk about you know the importance of we need white people on our side because like any movement whether it's feminism or race relations like unfortunately you do need the majority fighting your cause for you like women are not going to get anywhere in feminism unless men are on our side too you know but, they also but really swept that argument under the rug a bit like because it was the the guy james who was the polar to john lewis mm-hmm. Yeah. said, you know, you had all those respectable white people and so they weren't going to do anything and we should have capitalized on yeah. it. Yeah. And that wasn't given validation oh sure you know the the white people that we saw doing good the woman who was killed by the Klansman on the way home the mm-hmm. priest who was killed the, you yeah know, there wasn't this effort made to make it comfortable to watch yeah no but there's... no but I, I don't think it has to be because what i was gonna say was i actually admired it i thought yeah. it was good because i feel like any other movie especially in any other decade that would have tried to tell the story, there would have been some, like, bigwig white person who was, like, deeply entrenched and respected in Selma. And learned to come around. Yeah, Yeah. who either learned to come around or was, like, side-by-side with Martin, like, trying to get the word out. The Alessandro Navolo character. He would have been there from the very beginning. Yeah, he would have been, like, a huge part of the story. Yeah, the white reporter who's telling the story would have been, like, practically more of a primary character than Martin. You know, like, it would have been that white reporter telling the story would have been one of the main characters. And I love that it wasn't, because it was, like, 
like there's no reason for that. Yeah. There's no reason to try to make this, Couch this more palatable that, yeah. for someone who doesn't want to deal with it or to make this anyone's story but them. Yeah. Like it should be it should be these characters' story and we shouldn't have to like put that through a filter. Totally right. I absolutely agree with you. Uh, yeah. You know, it's the thing that, it, and I've been very quiet this episode. I it, I've noticed that, um, sir. The thing that I've been trying to figure out um, is they made no effort to hide or spin the fact that bad things need to happen in order to make some progress. Oh, yeah, and sure. I, I mean, he says at the very beginning, we show we up did. somewhere and we hope that our enemies make a mistake, right. you know, I mean, which inherently means, like, someone's going to get the shit kicked out of them or get killed or whatever. Like, yeah. It's as good a place to die. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, the issue of, did he send people to die? Yeah. I mean, arguably, yes. Yeah, and especially in that, when they go to the march and he's like, I, he's not even going to be there. That he literally is like, well, and he says, oh, well, I want to push it today. And they're like, look, we shouldn't push today. We've got all these people here. Like, we should just go, and you should come the second day. And, like, granted, every time in the movie that someone gives him a choice, and it's like, hey, maybe you should ride in a car, or maybe you should, you know, sit in the back or whatever. Like, maybe you should not put yourself in harm's way. He's like, no, I want to put myself in harm's way. Like, I got to do what's right for the bigger people. But, yeah, no, I mean, at the end of the day, that's exactly what's happened. I mean, he was the one who was... We got to do this. We got to do this, and yeah, they know the consequences of that. I mean, and regarding the the white access point you were talking about, I mean, he was hoping that the sheriff would be a hothead, absolutely, so that some things would happen and some people would be hurt. Yep, and to draw attention. I mean, I know I know that's how it works, and this is making me. I'm all going back to '93 here. Yeah, because so we were stuck at right at, at the intersection of 28 and Starro Drive. Oh yeah, at the prep at the big the big march. Yeah, and I was fine. You know, I was all for it. I, we got out of the car. We went, we walked up. Um, but when I heard about the thing on 93, my gut reaction was, this is the stupidest thing that you could do. What are you doing? Yeah. And given the work that that I do and that we all do, um, it's I've been trying to figure out what everybody's role in the thing is. And it seems to me that for any movement of any kind, for any goal, requires, in order to be successful an understanding on the part of all the constituent members of it mm-hmm. that it is a bigger thing and they're not doing it for themselves um, and I think that's part of why I don't know if I'd be okay calling it successful at this point but I mean within the limited context of the movie yeah. yes it was successful Sure. Um, so I mean if I work on legislation is that going to achieve anything, or is it right for people to be putting their arms in cement on 93? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's what this movie's dealing with in a large degree, is, like, the Civil Rights Act has already passed, and, you know, George Wallace is going to go, well, yeah, no, that's their right, but, you know, look, there is a way things are done, yeah. and that's not going to change, you know? So, yeah, there's a different, I mean, I think that's a big distinction that this movie is drawing between you know, what happens in a legal sense, what happens in a legislative sense, uh, and and what actually happens on the ground, you know? Yeah. The actual people in the world and, you know, in the re- in, in real life. Um, and that's, there. yeah, the, you can do one and it doesn't necessarily have an effect on the other. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, there's a part of me that watches this movie and feels guilty for not having been out 
you know, it, marching down Starro Drive or, you know, being a part of, you know, more of these protests or whatever. Because, you know, I'm my heart is absolutely with those guys. But, you know, oh, it was raining that day or something. And I'm like, ah, I'm not going to go. You know, like, and not that it's necessarily that, but, yeah, no, part of me feels like I should be doing more. This is a movie, and I think that's a, a big part of how successful uh, of a movie this is, that it's a movie that I watch and I walk away saying, like, I, I should be doing more. Like, I should be more involved in, you know, in these kind of movements that are still happening right now, today. Um, you know, part of me thinks, like, oh, if I had been, you know, alive in 1965, like, would I have gotten on a bus and gone down to Selma? Like, part of me wants to say I would, but I also did not get on a bus and go to Ferguson last year. So, you know, where is the line, you know? Um, I was going to say one of the other things that really struck me is when things are really heating up and you've got that group of, you know, white people with the Confederate flags and stuff. Yeah. And one of the things they were shouting was, like, they didn't care what the federal laws was, like, this is Alabama and you're not going to tell us how to live our lives or something like that. And just that complete cognitive dissonance of, like, no one is trying to tell you how to live your life. Yeah. No one is trying to change anything about your life or anything about what you're allowed to do. They're just trying to let other people be allowed to do the same things as you. But that literally changes nothing for you. Like, you're still allowed to vote. You're still allowed to eat wherever you want. No one's trying to take that away from you. But the idea that some people really do still today view it as like, well, but if you give people the same rights as me, then it's like you're taking rights away from me. Like that completely ridiculous, selfish childish attitude. I mean, that's how so many people are with gay marriage. It's like, no one's trying to do jack to your marriage. They're just trying to let other people also be married. But to them, it's like, well, but if you let them do it, then you're devaluing mine. No, no one's doing anything to your marriage. And it just reminded me of yesterday when I saw Paddington with these two little children. Um, One of them had taken two pencils out of her mom's purse and was like playing with them. And then somehow through one way or another, her older brother got one of the pencils. And And that was fine for a few minutes. And after a few minutes, she decided she wanted both pencils back. And so she was like, give me the other pencil. Give me the other pencil. And he was like, no. And she turned to me and goes, he's not sharing. And I looked at her (laughs) and I was like, he has one. You have one. That is the definition of sharing. Yeah. Yeah. But she's three. So to her, sharing is like, you have a thing I want and you won't give it to me. me. Thus you're not sharing. And it's just like, that's all I could think of. I was like, you have the same logic as a three-year-old. Yeah. So I was like, congratulations, guy. They they won't tell us how to live our lives. You have the logic of a three-year-old. And that's exactly what, you know, what King says in that last speech of like, you know, it's this lie that gets passed down from family to family that like even in these like poor, destitute white families where, you know, their lives are really shitty and they're in a terrible situation, but, you know, they comfort themselves by passing on the the lie that your whiteness makes you superior to, to others. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That even though things might be shitty for us, you know, at least we're not black. Ow, why are you hitting me? Because I actually get to tell this story in the most relevant way I will ever get to tell it. I tell this story all the time, but it has never been this relevant. So I am from the South. And <laughs> I know what story you're going to tell now, and this is awesome. People are racist. Yes, and I people know are that, racist. and I'm aware of it. I moved to Boston with no idea of Boston's racist history. I thought I was moving to like the liberal, open-minded Northeast. 
And then I had been here for three months. Yeah, I probably. Think, yeah, because it was Christmas. And you it, moved here in August. And it was winter. And it was slushy and disgusting. And we were in Salem. And we were walking to the train. And it had, it, like, just snowed the day before. So yeah, we were, like, so tromping so through much lots snow, of snow. Tromping yeah. through the snow to the commuter rail. And as we're riding the commuter rail, this other guy starts to walk toward us. And, like, we're going to pass each other on the sidewalk. And he kind of, like, gestures around to all the gross weather and stuff and goes, another day in paradise, huh? And we're like, ha ha, yeah. It's and then he goes, yeah. this is like, no one in my entire life growing up in the South would have said this with no context whatsoever. Like, all we're literally just passing each other on the sidewalk, talking about the weather. Strangers. Complete strangers. And then he just goes, well, at least we're white, and keeps walking. And I just like my eyes got so white and I turned so wide and I turned. <laughs> they also got and, so white. Well, they are. <laughs> and I turned to Daly and I was like, "What? What? What?" And he's like, "Keep walking, keep walking, keep walking." And like grabs my arm and drags me down the sidewalk. And I just like, and that's why when people ask me sometimes about the South, I'm like, "Okay, the South is like racist in a creepy, institutionalized, yeah. like going back decades way." But it was not until I moved to New England. Where someone decided to, in passing, just be like, well, at least we're white. Like, life could be worse. We could be a minority. I was like, what's happening? And that was 2009. Yeah. So, yeah. So, that mindset is alive and well. At least we're white. Yeah, we don't even have Confederate flags. We no. can't even be, like, colorful about no. it. We can't even have our own artwork. <laughs> Did you just say... We can't even be colorful about it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's what I said. Oh, my God. This Week in Racism, brought to you by the Confederate flag. Uh, every week in racism. <laughs> um, well, this might seem a weird movie to do this with, but yeah, it's we, our tradition. Yeah, we were talking about this. Heart of the Ghostbusters. It feels... Kind of wrong. Kind of wrong. Just, um, can we just pick the city of Selma, Alabama? Well, no. See and all the people it encompasses. See, I actually had a. No, I, I think we need to do it, and we need to reiterate where we came down on this when we originally started doing this. Heart of the Ghostbusters. Many, many months ago. Who's the Who's the person you want to have a drink with? Who's it's, Who's it's, your drinking buddy? It's a drink and a, a conversation, chat. a chat. Just, yeah. Like, this week, it's mm, yeah. It's more. Who do you just want to chat with? Maybe, well. I'll go first, because I actually had a very clear-cut uh, answer to this. Yeah. And that's John Lewis. I have the same exact yeah. response, actually. He, Which, is, he is a no-brainer for me. Yeah. It feels weird doing it at all, but Congressman Lewis, absolutely. And and I think that's actually another great moment in the movie. Like, it's a great reveal, because you've seen him in, like, you know, basically about a dozen scenes or so before somebody says his full name. Uh, and you're like, oh! Oh, that's John Lewis. Oh, holy shit. Yeah, that's right. Because, like, I, you know, I know who he is, and I knew he had a relationship with Martin Luther King, but I didn't know in what, I couldn't remember in what context. I was like, oh, yeah, of course he's in this fucking movie. And he gets that great scene in the car. He gets the, you know, the scenes with his partner oh, at so Snick. great all around. The guy from Snick where he's like, yeah. the people of Selma. But, yeah, have decided, yeah. Way, no longer. Why does he have Denzel Washington's voice? <laughs> did you notice that? I did not notice that. It's weird. Like, if you see it again... He sounds like Denzel. You think it sounds exactly like Denzel? like Denzel Washington. I don't know why. It's just... Uh, right. For a minute, I was like, is Denzel Washington in the movie? And then he, what? I was like, <laughs> is he speaking off camera somewhere? That's what I was saying. I was like, what? The- oh, it's that guy. Yeah. And I was like, are they related? 
Like, it just sounded so much like him that I yeah. couldn't unhear it. No, I think I think that actor does a great performance, yeah. but I think uh, I think that I mean he's a he's a great great character, and he provides such a great because he's outside of King's Circle, but he knows he's what's going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and yeah. he's the one like when after they try the second march and then they turn back, he's the one who's like, "Dude, I'm here, but you gotta you gotta give me something, you know? Like what what you you gotta tell us something? Like what, why did this happen today? Like just give us a reason, you know?" Um, I, yeah, I think he's, I thought he was great. Um, and, you know, and real life John Lewis is a total badass. So, I'm all, I'm all about John Lewis. I was debating between him and the old man. The old man was my second point, was my was, second choice. Okay, so, I came, here's how I came down with this. I want to have a drink with John Lewis. Yeah. I want to have, like, a sandwich <laughs> with the old man. That's, I, I can get on board you with that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, absolutely. And, like, I kind of want to have with Oprah. <laughs> like, these are all people that I, I want like, I, I to talk Diane to. Nash. Yeah. Yeah. I wish she had gotten a little bit more. I was a little bummed about that. Oh, Speaking yeah. Speaking of terrible things coming down from the Academy, they apparently posted on their Instagram feed a, like a still from Selma. Yeah. And it was Diane Nash's character and they tagged the actress who plays Corey. Oh wow. no! Yeah. That's rough. So they didn't even watch the movie enough to know who's who. That's or fantastic. They, or they think they all look the same. The other light-skinned black chick. Yeah. yeah. I actually think Tessa Thompson does like she's, she doesn't have a lot to do in this movie. She has almost nothing. Yeah. She movie. basically gets like, like three lines name, of dialogue. They even like specifically name her at the in the typography. Yeah, in yeah. The typography. Like he arrived in Selma with female right. agitator Diane, and like I thought, oh, she's gonna be like a big character, and we're gonna get. No. Yeah. She barely even has another line after that, you know? Um, she's, she's just, like, in the crowd at all the meetings. Yeah. She was in, uh, like, I, I know her from Veronica Mars, where I never really liked her very well, much. because Jackie was annoying. Yeah, no, that character was kind of sucky. It was, was not a problem sucky. with Tessa Thompson. It was um, just Jackie. But she's the one who's supposed to be playing uh, the Her girlfriend Marvel. of Apollo Creed's uh, grandson in the new oh, Rocky-esque yeah. movie. So I'm all about that. Um, yeah, but she's yeah she's also in Dear White People, which I haven't seen yet. So. Which is supposed to be great. Yeah, it's supposed to be very yeah, good. That's so, on my list too. Um, but yeah, no, John, I'm all about John Lewis and the old guy. They're they're both fantastic. I would have a drink with John Lewis and a sandwich with that old guy. Fuck yeah, yeah. fuck yeah. Uh, well, that should just about wrap it up for us, uh, guys. Thank you so much for coming and for you know contributing. You guys are all fabulous people. Uh, not racist. You're all you're all not racist. Good nice. job, everybody. Nice. Nice. Bart uh, was racist in high school. Bart was racist in high school? What? Wait, what did I do? Bart doesn't understand. Oh, yeah. You don't understand the plight of the young white man. Uh, uh, the the young plight of the minority. minority. As a white man, you do yeah. not understand the plight of the minority. That's yeah. right. You can My cut that out. Ass. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you can uh, follow me here on the blog at dailyscreening.com or, or Facebook and Twitter at Daily Screening or at mdaily one uh, you can listen you to the podcast. Yeah, it's my normal. It's my oh one. Are you Steve? Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Uh, you can follow the podcast here on iTunes or on SoundCloud, and you can uh, you know rate us and review us and give us five stars. Five stars for everybody. Have, have we ever actually been rated? By Probably not. Reviewed? Probably not. What number is this? 40 uh, this is forty six. I think this is forty six. So. We're almost at 50. We're almost at 52, which would be a year's worth of podcasts. I mean, we've been doing this for more than a year at yeah. this point. But, uh, yeah. Um, we've had fun talking. I hope you've had fun listening. Have a lovely evening and a fantastical tomorrow.